You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. still it's still a new year so happy new year I have always been a hopeless romantic a good rom-com is my jam I love happy endings and I tear up every time the protagonist's dreams come true and every victory is so much sweeter after heartbreak you know the drill they meet they fall in love somebody does something stupid Then they realize the error of their ways, and they come back together stronger than ever. (laughs) And I eat that stuff up. I mean, the journey is so satisfying. It's a a welcome escape, a fantasy. But when it comes to real life, my reality, that happy ending seems so far away. Life is such a slow burn. And there's no fast-forwarding to the good part. Does anybody here relate to that, right? In our last series, we encouraged you to dream, to be awake and aware of your dreams, to sow joy, to dream of a better world, to persevere towards the light. So, to kick off the new year, we decided that it would be fun to talk about what it's life like when life disrupts those dreams. Doesn't that sound fun? Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when we're going through it, knowing that it's all going to work out in the end doesn't really give us the warm and fuzzies, does it? Whether it's losing your job, losing your dream job, or losing your survival job, a breakup you didn't see coming, or a breakup you knew was inevitable. Sitting on the either side of the glass in a prison, unable to change your loved one's situation or your situation. Seeing your child make the very mistake you tried to teach them to avoid and witnessing them deal with the ramifications watching them as they close the casket. Heartbreak can be so painful, and you don't think you can make it through the next minute, but somehow you do. How do we go on when our hopes and dreams appear to be unraveling? Who are we when life upends our identity, when our path disappears or is blocked? Does the disruption mean the end of our dreams or it is a new beginning? Is there anything too hard for God? Is it ever too late? Can things turn around? How do we find joy after the things we feared most have occurred? 
The Bible is filled with stories of people struggling with challenges, fears, failures, and doubts. Stories of ordinary people who go on to do extraordinary things despite their circumstances. Now let's consider this journey of Abraham and Sarah. In Genesis 18, God appears to Abraham and makes a proclamation that completely surprises Sarah. I will surely return you, return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, now will I have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> well, can you blame her? I mean, Sarah was about 90 years old, and Abraham was about 100. Yeah, God have mercy. I thought at 30 I was too old to have a child, but, uh, you know. I mean, and this wasn't the first time that God had said that they would have children. But decades had passed, and she had given up her dream of having a child of her own. In fact, she had already taken matters into her own hands. Now, this is a problematic story. And for those of you not familiar I want to give you a content heads up. Some aspects of this story, well, um, and some others that I'm going to share today may be triggering. They cover miscarriages. They care cover surrogacy, both consensual and non-consensual. They cover miscarriages sur um, and uh, loss and grief. And I will try to cover these things with care and sensitivity and encourage you to practice self-care as you listen. Now, I took issue with some of Sarah and Abraham's actions. And as I struggled with this text, I, which is absolutely troubling at times, I voiced my concerns to some of my colleagues, and they shared some context that is helpful when tackling stories in the Old Testament. Reverend Josh shared this perspective. He said, God is patient with us as we progress through time. God knows human transformation and understanding is also a slow burn. God was patient with us as we evolved, progressed as humans to learn how to better love ourselves, others, and God. Reverend Bonitas said, that's the beauty of progressive Christianity. I'm glad that we have regressed and that things which were once normalized are no longer sanctioned. Founding pastor Jonathan Williams said, what I found hopeful is that in the midst of a lot of pain, poor decisions, setbacks, and everything else, God is still at work. God gives us free will. And God shows us grace. Even when we are disobedient, cruel, 
or doubtful. God still blesses us. God sustains us as we deal with the ramifications of our actions or the actions of others. And best of all, God provides what we need to make it through the disruption. As written in Romans 8, and as sung just a few minutes ago, God makes things work out for our good. It's important to know, all things don't just work for your good. God makes things work out for your good. So there's going to be things happening that are not necessarily good. But you'll make it through because God is with you. Now, can I also say that I'm grateful I do not live in the Old Testament times? All right? Can I get an amen on that? All right? So let's continue with Sarah and Abraham's story to see God at work in a situation that seems godless. I'm going to rewind to Genesis 18. At that time, Abraham was called Abram, and Sarah was called Sarai. And since she had been unable to conceive, Sarai convinced Abraham to take her slave, Hagar, as a second wife so they could build a family through her. But after Hagar got pregnant, Sarai was filled with remorse and jealousy. She blamed Abraham for her grief, but she unleashed her frustrations on Hagar, and Abraham allowed it. So even though Hagar had no choice in the matter and had only done what Sarai had ordered her to do, Sarai mistreated Hagar and their son, Ishmael. It was a mess all around. They had unraveled. Now, but before we judge them, let's take some personal inventory, okay? Can you think of a time you made a decision out of desperation? Did that decision cause further grief to you or to someone else? Have you ever wanted something so badly that you did something you thought you would never do? Did privilege or cultural norms allow you to disregard the effects of your decisions on someone else? Aren't you grateful that God didn't cut you off? Even after making mistakes, God continued to bless you? I know I'm so grateful that God didn't cut me off when I did some mess. And here's where Jonathan said, suggested that I provide an example of something I've done and to which I say, it's none of your business. <laughs> so let's go back to the story of Abraham and Sarah. All right? So after the mess they created, trying to help God, God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude, and Sarai's name to Sarah, mother of nations and tells Abraham in Genesis 17, I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. And this time, it was Abraham that laughed. So in Genesis 18, when Sarah laughs, she was only echoing the surprise and disbelief Abraham had shown in the previous chapter. Now, Jonathan preached on this a few years back, and he interpreted Sarah's laugh as more of a curse, right? He says, we have to remember her state. 
She's old. She's literally wearing a house coat and walking around with a chair that has the tennis balls on the bottom so that she doesn't slip, right? This isn't a laugh of joy, it's a laugh of anger, which goes to show that God can bless us even when we don't believe, that our prayers can be answered, our dreams can come to fruition, even when we think it's too late. It also shows that God is bigger than our anger, bigger than our problems, bigger than our questions. God knows Sarah is mocking them. Girl, you know you laughed. Now watch what I do next, right? Let's read on to Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. She became pregnant and bore a son. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. So at the age of 90, Sarah experienced the joy of motherhood. And after she gives birth, she goes on to say, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And like a rom, good rom-com, they lived happily ever after. <laughs> Not. Right? There is so much to unpack in their story. I can't even come close to covering it in the hour that they allotted for this sermon. Oh, hour? No, 45 minutes? No, no. It's not going to be that long, y'all. Not going to be that long. I want to focus, so it's not an hour long, I want to focus on unexpected joy and surprise. What does joy mean to you? What does it mean to you? Brene Brown, a professor, author, podcast host, and one of Forefront's favorite people to quote, she says, we simply cannot know joy without embracing vulnerability. And the way to do that is to focus on gratitude, not fear. The good news is that joy collected over time fuels resilience, ensuring we'll have reservoirs of emotional strength when hard things happen. Reservoirs of emotional strength when hard things happen. Here's another story of unexpected joy. And I received permission from those involved to share this. In early 2002, my youngest sister told our family she was pregnant. She was certain she was not ready for the responsibility of having a child, and was even more certain that there was a family that God had chosen to raise her child. She found an adoption agency that helped with open adoptions. Marissa wanted to be involved in the child's life and for the child to know her as well as our family. And as the months went by, our family tried to come up with a contingency plan Maybe I could raise Naomi with my daughter, Lorette, or maybe my sister, Andrea, could help raise her. But Marissa was adamant that the parents that God set aside would be found. My sister gave birth to a beautiful baby girl and named her Naomi, and the agency introduced her to a lovely couple, but after meeting them, Marissa did not think that they were the couple God had in mind. The social worker scolded her, 
accused her of being insensitive and said if she didn't choose that couple, she needed to find another agency. So, knowing the Lockett family, Marissa did. She found another agency. Now, secretly, or maybe not so secretly, we did think that Marissa had unraveled. And I'm not proud to admit it, but, you know, I just, I kind of thought she was delusional. I mean, how many black couples were out there who met her criteria? Could she afford to be so picky? I knew it would be a struggle, but couldn't our family make it work? How could she be so certain? Well, unbeknownst to me, Marissa had access to that reservoir that Brene talked about. Yes, she was vulnerable in a position she had not planned, and she believed God would provide. The new adoption agency introduced Rissa to Rodney and Leisha, who recently adopted, had recently adopted a baby boy, Lee Chai, through that agency. Now, the agency's only concern was that perhaps the couple weren't ready to adopt again. They had just, but the couple agreed to meet. And, um, and as soon as they saw Naomi, they knew they had found their daughter. You see, Rodney and Leisha had lived through their own unraveling. For years, they had tried to have children and had miscarried several times. Rodney had a son, Imani, from a previous relationship, but their dream of having children together seemed impossible. Their unexpected joy? Expanding their family through adoption. My family's unexpected joy? Leisha and Rodney adopting our beautiful, precious Naomi. We attended the, the adoption ceremony where she was renamed Ela Naomi, and our families experienced a phenomenal bond. That day at Spence Chapin Agency, I, our family expanded. I gained a brother, a sister, and two nephews. And a few years after adopting Ela, they adopted a third child, Chyla, and I gained another niece. And best of all, we never had to wonder how Ela was doing. Rodney and Leisha welcomed us into their lives with such grace and love. About eight years after Ela's adoption, we were all together at one of our family gatherings, and Ela said she had an announcement. Mommy's pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Talk about unexpected joy, right? I mean, Abraham and Sarah popped into all of our heads. I mean, they were nowhere near that old, right? But it was extraordinary. In her mid-40s, after adopting three children, after circumstances said it wasn't possible, Leisha was pregnant. Last week, Leisha and I met for brunch. She's now an assistant priest at St. Peter's Episcopal Church in the city, and she's preaching this morning as well. We caught up on recent events and eventually started talking about my sermon, and I asked her if she laughed when she found out she was pregnant again. And she said it was more like, yeah, right, God. 
<laughs> I mean, she had been there many, many times before. And her unexpected joy was just filled with fear and anxiety. It was mixed with fear and anxiety. She said, 16 weeks was the longest I had been able to keep a pregnancy. I made it past that milestone and prayed to get to the next. It was so scary, especially once the kids knew. I just kept praying, God, please help me keep these babies. I cannot put these little ones through the loss of a baby. You see, all the conditions that Leisha had in her previous miscarriages still existed. Plus, given her age, it was a high-risk pregnancy. Eventually, she had to go on bed rest. She would affirm herself, speaking life, this is real, this is true, I'm going to hold on and act on that truth. And despite trying to be positive, fear would remain under the surface. The morning of the delivery, as Leisha sat on the edge of the gurney waiting for her epidural to be administered, a woman she did not know just walked up to her and held her without saying a word. Lisa, Lisa said that after that, the fear was gone. She never saw that woman again, and she muses that she might have been an angel. I agree that it was. And once that fear left, joy washed over her. And a few moments later, their third prince, Ade, was born. Ade is now in the eighth grade. Chyla is in 10th. Do we have a picture of them? Let's show the, yes. No, wait, no, go to the other one. Yeah, that one, yes. So this is when, this is when they were first born. Oh, did they show that earlier? Probably, okay. Angela, you're not supposed to be turning around looking at the slides. <laughs> you know, it's easier said than done. All right, so yeah, that was them there. This is them now. You were right, Sean. Sorry. <laughs> Trying to help Ike. Okay. A day is now in the eighth grade. Chyla is in 10th. Ela is a full-grown woman in her little jean jacket right there. She's working as an assistant director of skating at Figure Skating in Harlem, Inc., and Lee Chai just graduated from Tufts University. Um, Rodney's son, Imani, has a son of his own. So now Rodney and Leisha are grandparents and are still madly in love with each other. Now their love story would make an excellent rom-com. God provides. It may not look like we imagined. It may not happen in our lifetime. There may be moments of doubt, fear, anger, hurt, loss, and bewilderment, but the truth remains, we prevail. Just keep breathing. October 10th, 2010, was a moment of unexpected joy for me. I went to my friend's housewarming party, and she introduced me to this tall, lanky man with an infectious smile. I was in my mid-40s and was not looking for a relationship. But I remember thinking, hmm, is he husband material? 
<laughs> then laughing to myself. You know, some of us single women remember what that's like, right? Every time you meet somebody, you're like, mm, I wonder, is that going anywhere? Even no matter how independent we say we are. <laughs> I played it cool, though. Over the next year, I would see him from time to time, and we would chat, and each time, I would leave thinking, could it be possible? And each time, I would dismiss the thought with a laugh. I mean, I had written off the possibility of finding a soulmate. I was capable of taking care of myself and my daughter. I didn't need any help. I had Jesus. That's all I needed. <laughs> but God, but God had something else in mind. Eventually, we began to date, and in 2013, we were married. Look at us. Aww. <laughs> what, a, what a beautiful day. You know, I had written off the possibilities of, um, no, I, I, whatever, I've got past that, all right. <laughs> yeah. For the first time in my life, I had a true partner. I had a man that I could pray with and play with. Now, many of you knew Pierre. He's the person that introduced me to Forefront. He was funny, kind, faithful, and honest. He was a loving father, a dedicated son, an amazing artist, and was a blessing to everyone who called him friend. I laughed so much with him. And even when he got on my last nerve, which was often, I still wanted him here with me. And then in the wee hours of October 9th, 2021, the day before our meet anniversary, my dream of growing old with this beautiful man unraveled. And I stood outside the doors of the ER at Methodist Hospital, helpless, as a team of doctors worked feverishly to revive my husband. Pierre's death unraveled me. Then, every person God sent my way took strands of my tattered life and held them, literally and figuratively keeping me from falling apart. They poured into that reservoir and continue to do so. Today, my unexpected joy is the fact that I can stand here, still somewhat unraveled, yet stronger and more alive than I have ever been. Every day I draw from that reservoir that was poured into by so many people, some of which are here or watching online today, and by some who made their transition from this realm, included, including my beloved Pierre. I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but I know I will persevere. As you journey through this life, there will be periods of disruption. Perhaps you sit here now unraveled, broken, depleted. I encourage you to hold on. You will not come undone. 
There are people in your life who have poured into your reservoir. And for those of you who don't feel like you have a reservoir right now, I acknowledge your grief. That's okay. You are feeling what you have to feel right now. When you're ready, I encourage you to think of something, anything you have to be grateful for, no matter how small it may be. That will be the start of filling your reservoir. Now, maybe you think this message is ridiculous and you're wrong. <laughs> but maybe you feel that way. It's okay to laugh. There's something freeing about it. Go ahead and laugh at the ridiculousness of life. Then put on your grown person draws and keep on living. Don't give up. And please know, you don't have to go through this alone. There are people in this very room who helped me through my darkest days. Days when I was literally walking through the valley of the shadow of death. They have the capacity to support you too. Whether you're here in this room or whether you're watching online, People who will pray with you, even if they don't know you. People who will try to help you find the resources you need to make it through your current disruption. If your reservoir is empty, draw from the reservoir that is right here in this room. It's right here for you now. God is here. Love is here. Healing is here. Hope is here. Joy is here. Open your heart, mind, and spirit. Just visualize yourself drawing from that well, reviving yourself with the soothing water of life. Joy. Stop trying to fix it. It's bigger than you. And you do not have to struggle alone. It's not an accident that you are here hearing this sermon right now. Trust that God is at work in the middle of your pain. I dare you. I double dog, no, I triple dog dare you <laughs> to let go and let God. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.